Um, this is the second part of a four-part series on the Akedah. Again, it's something I've never done, but uh, um, the idea of a, a four-part series on one particular text. What we looked at last week was Akedah from the perspective of Hilchot Kriyot Torah and what the Kriyot Torah are on the different Chagim and what the odd thing about both Shavuot and Rosh Hashanah because the Mishnah makes a whole different suggestion about what we read. And in each case in the Tosefta, we saw an alternative opinion brought as a second opinion that's directed us towards what we read, like on Shavuot, and on Rosh Hashanah, and then the strange statement in the Gemara, which is, now that we have two days of Rosh Hashanah, we do Vashem on the first day and Halloween Nisad Avraham, the Akedah, on the second day. What I suggested last week was that really the whole thing is a unit, which means according to the other opinion of the Tosefta, we'd read this whole thing that you see on page one, which is the both days reading uh, on the one day of uh, Rosh Hashanah. And again, the question came up about, so when does Rosh Hashanah become a two-day thing? And the reality is it, it probably happens in stages. Because Rosh Hashanah as a two-day, um, shall we say, two-day issue shows up already in alluded to in the Mishnah because of the problem of what if the Edim who testify that today's Rosh Chodesh come late in the day. Then Nohagim Otoyom Kodesh, Momachatoyom Kodesh. We have like two days that we observe as Kodesh. But what seems to be the case from the Mishan the Tosefta is that liturgically it was only observed one day, and the question is, what's the reading on that day? And therefore, the comment in the Bavli, Ha'ina Davdina Treyomi, now that we do two days, all right. So we talked about that last week. What I'd like to look at this week is the story of the Akedah within several contexts. And the, the phrase that I want to use is narrative cycle, because a narrative cycle implies exactly that that there are stories that kind of connect with each other and create a full circle um, uh, as seen as they are, the Akedah is really part of, the truth is it's part of about six or seven different narrative cycles, but I want to stay close and identify what I think are the three closest narrative cycles that it operates within and explain what I mean by that. Because when you look at the Akedah, you're looking at a lot of different things. The story of the Akedah involves the command, it involves the near fulfillment, it involves the, the uh, interruption by the Malach, it includes the substitution korban, it includes the naming of the place, but it also includes the journey, and it includes the most the, the famous but tragic line of Ayochush Nehem Yachtav, um, and uh, so it, it, and it includes the difference between Avram and his son and the two servants and the donkey. Uh, it involves a whole lot of pieces. So when we look at the Akedah within narrative cycles, we may be looking at different pieces of the Akedah within that cycle. Let's start from the closest cycle that we have, which is what I'm suggesting was the original Kriyat Torah on the one day of Rosh Hashanah in that second opinion, which is Vashem Pakaret Sarah all the way to uh, all the way to the through the Akedah. Um, by the way, when we read the Akedah, what we read, and I included it here, although maybe not necessarily, is we also read, what's the last Aliyah we read on the second day? 
it is undoubtedly an anticlimax because the, the Akedah just builds and builds and builds. And then finally it resolves and everybody goes home. Kilo, we're going to talk about that in two weeks. But uh, then there is the birth announcement of uh, Nahor having children and grandchildren and uh, and Bituel's daughter Rivka, uh, which of course was important for us, but it did come to an anticlimax in the story. I'm not sure that that was necessarily part of the original Kriyat Torah, which perhaps was Vashem Pakat Atzara through the Akedah. In any case, how does this story create a whole? When I, when I talk about a narrative circle or cycle, what I mean is that you look at this entire story as a single unit. So what would be the theme that would emerge from this unit, which is Fashem Pakarit Sarat? And in the middle of it, we have to keep in, in mind what happens. And I broke it up into the Parshiot. Um, is that um, you have, and I, by the way, I did not include the entire story here. I just several highlights. But this is the story of the birth of Yitzchak, the Brit of Yitzchak, the name of Yitzchak, the weaning of Yitzchak, at which point, evidently Yishmael, Ben Hagar, gets involved in a way that displeases Sarah. We don't know what happens. And Sarah insists that uh, that the maid and the kid be exiled. Avram is bothered by that, but they're exiled. And, and then we have this interjection with this strange Brit between Avraham and Avimelech, um, and uh, and they make a brit in Beersheba, and then they go their separate ways, or at least Avimelech leaves. And then you have the Akedah. Now, where would the Akedah fit within that narration, within that story? So it seems that the common theme in this entire story, think about the common theme in the Kriyotah Torah on the first two days, is about Avram and his children. Think about this. Vashem Pakarat is about the birth of Yitzchak. And the birth of Yitzchak is incomplete without the naming of Yitzchak and the Brit Milah of Yitzchak. And then the celebration of Yitzchak. That's all the first part of that section. However, there's another character we have to keep in mind, which is Yishmael. Now let's talk about Yishmael for a minute, although we're going to return to him in two weeks. If you're Yishmael, what is your status? And how does the birth of Yitzchak impact on you? So you have to remember, it's not just you're the only kid in the house and your parents are really, really old. Well, your dad's really old, your mom not, are really old. It's not just that. The family knows that there is a divine command and a divine promise that father is going to be the father of a big nation. You are the one child. Father's wife is way postmenopausal, And... Father doesn't is not continuing any relationship with my mom. And so how do you view yourself if you're Ishmael? What do you think? What do you think? If you're Ishmael, how do you view yourself during those years? He's sort of a man with a man without a country. Say it again? Sort of like a man without a country. There's no yeah. not he, you know, he's he's niched here and niched there. Why not? I'm talking about now between the time that he is conscious at all, three, four, five years old, and the time that he's uh, he's uh, 14 and Yitzhak is born. I think there's got to be a sense in him of, yeah, I know what they told my dad, but am I? Am, is this, does it really apply to me? Even though there's no other children, does it really apply to me because of who my mom is? Then why not? Because after all, Avram was promised originally, and the time Ishmael was born, up until the year a year or so before Yitzhak is born, 
The promise is to Avraham. Sarah is not part of the promise. So I, you may be right. I tend to think of it a little differently. I think that Yishmael is sitting there saying, I'm the promise. I am the future. Now, when Yitzchak is born, what happens to Yishmael? Yishmael had Brit Milah already at age 13. That's famous Midrashic dialogue between the two of them about that. Yitzchak has Brit Milah on the ideal time, which is the eighth day. The first person to have an eighth day Brit. Okay. And he's named Yitzchak, but he's named Yishmael. And by the way, which name is a better name for somebody who's going to be the leader of God's nation's son? I don't know about you, but I think Yishmael. It's a great name. I mean, we have our associations with it. But Yishmael, God hears. Yitzchak, laughter. It doesn't carry the same uh, gravitas. So you're Yishmael, and even for these couple of years, maybe you see that you're really going to be the guy who leads things, and maybe Yitzchak will be the second in command, or maybe you work together, or maybe you'll be the really, the one who does it, and Yitzchak is going to be some sort of a little you know mama's boy for Sarah. You don't know. Now, what happens in the middle of this story? Sarah steps in and demands that Yishmael be sent away. All right. So Yishmael is sent away, and now what new reality has shown up from the perspective of Avraham? Because God promised him, I'll take care of Yishmael, and they'll become a great nation. What new reality has come up for Avraham? Is that he's going to be the father of a great nation, or shall we say, the father of great nations, because Yishmael is going to go his way and become a great nation. And anytime Yitzchak's here, and he's the promise of my great nation. So I'm the father in a sense of two great nations, which is fine, because what did Hashem promise Avraham before Yitzchak was born? I'm changing the name to Avraham because Avhamon goyim netatiha. Okay, so that all fits. Now, this is the curious thing. In the middle of this story, we have this, this break between Avraham and Avimelech. And it's the, it's the latter part of the laning on the first day. And to be honest, it's kind of a, a, a downer because the beginning of the laning is, oh, and Sarah at her, ancient, at, her, at her advanced age gives birth, and Yitzchak is born, and there's great festivity, and then Yishmael is, is uh, Sarah wants to send Yishmael away, and Avram is bothered by it, and Hashem promises him, and Yitzchak, he be Yitzchak, it's the end of one of the Eliot, beautiful. And then Yishmael goes, and Hashem shows Hagar where the water is, and Yishmael thrives. Very uplifting. And then we have the story of the breach between Avram and Avimelech. So it's like, okay, it's like going to like negotiations and borders and boundaries. Here it's okay, but notice what the Brit is about. Right? The Brit is the Brit that Avraham that Avimelech presents to Avraham is a multi-generational pact. Why now? Why does Avimelech approach Avraham now? So one explanation could be that uh, that, Av, that Avimelech saw that Abraham, like he said, God is with you. All these amazing things have happened to you. But what's the most amazing thing that's happened to Abraham? Is that he gave birth to a kid. Not only that he's at age 100, but Sarah is 90. It's quite miraculous. So I want to make a breed with you. And the breed is about kids. It's about your kids and my kids. That's the famous Rashbam at the beginning of the Akedah. That Hashem got angry with Abraham for making a breach involving his kid. But that's, so it, it's again around kids. So now what's the Akedah about? 
the Akedah is about kids. It's about Avraham and his kid. Beno is repeated throughout. Beni. Right? Avi. That the relationship is is powerful. It's 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 sad. We empathize with it. We we get moved by it. But that's what this is about. I'm going to draw one more piece in this narrative cycle before we move on, and this is something that Uriel Simon wrote years ago, a short article, uh, in which he po pointed the following out. But I'll just I'll bring you around to it. If I were to tell you a story about the following, what Hashem commands Abraham that one of his sons be sent out, especially be taken out to die. Avraham gets up early in the morning, puts all the provisions together. The child goes out with a parent. The child almost dies. And God intervenes and saves the child. And the child goes off somewhere else and thrives. Who am I talking about? Who's that story about? Both of them. Yishmael. And Yitzhak, right? <clears throat> That's why he wrote a short article called Akedat Yishmael. Obviously, Yishmael wasn't bound up, so the word Akedat is a borrowed phrase. But the idea is that Yishmael also went through this. And now when you look at the entire narrative cycle of the first two days of Rosh Hashanah, the reading, Hashem Pachat through the Akedat, what you see is this is the story of Avraham's sons. And so the Akedat is part of that story. The Akedah might be the crowning feature of that story, but it's part of the story of Avraham's sons. Okay. I want to move it out further to a middle circle. We're going to think about this. The Akedah is part of three rings. Not a circus, but three rings. The inner ring is the ring of Vashem Pakaratzara. But there's a larger ring, which is very similar to it, but it goes all the way back to Perak Tetzayim. Because in from Perak Chafalafan, both sons are alive. And the, the issue at play is, what's going to happen to these sons? And tragically, and we'll get to this in the bigger circle, tragically, both sons end up near, near dying and evidently disappearing from the immediate proximity of Abraham, moving themselves away. And so while Avraham is the father of great nations, those great nations aren't directly connected to him anymore. They're connected genealogically, but not physically. Not, they're not with him. So you take a look now. We're going to jump back to the beginning of Perak Zion. Because the beginning of Perak Zion is when Hashem has promised Avraham that he's going to be the father of... Uh, of he's, going to, he's going to have a great nation... And he's going to, his kids will be a source of blessing for the world. All of that beautiful stuff. So let me roll it back and ask you the following question. You're Avraham. And Hashem says to you, right? You're going to be a great nation. I'm going to make you into a great nation. You'll be a source of blessing, etc. Very nice. Year one, year two, year three, year 20, year 50, they all roll around and you have no kids. How do you now interpret what Hashem meant? And I'll explain what I mean by that. Hashem speaks. We hear the words. What do the words mean? So unless they come with a very clear Torah Shaval which the whole thing is Valpeh, 
But if, unless they come with, you know, the instructor, the instruction manual, you don't really know what they mean. And you sometimes have to judge what they mean based on how things play out. Let me give you an example of that. Yaakov says to Yehuda on his deathbed, Lo yasur shevet mi Yehuda. The scepter shall never leave Yehuda. All right, you hear that. Father dies, you bury him. What do you imagine is going to happen if father giving nevuah said, Lo yasur shevet mi Yehuda. What do you imagine is going to happen? Right. You imagine that the minute that there's a call for a king, you're going to be the king. And you tell your kids that, and your kids tell your kid their kids that, and it goes down, and everybody in Utah is sent, waiting around, and one of us is going to be king the minute there's a call for a king. So you think that might happen in Mitzrayim? It doesn't happen in Mitzrayim. You think it might happen in the Midbar? Okay, Moshe, temporary thing. You think it might happen when we enter the land? Okay, Yoshua is in charge. But when should it happen? It should happen the minute that we settle the land. Okay, but that doesn't happen. Okay, so when are you really cooking and saying, everybody in Yudah is saying, okay, now it's going to be one of us. When? When everybody comes to Shmuel and says, right? We want a king over us. And Shmuel says to everybody, after conferring with God and both of them being upset, everybody go home, I'll find you a king. What do you expect to have happen now? Somebody from Yudah is going to be summoned by Shmuel and become king. Surprise, 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 it's from B'Shev Binyamin. How do we explain that? So here's the thing. If you're in Shevet Yehuda and you know this tradition going back to Yaakov's deathbed, you got to say, oh, originally we thought that it meant that Yehuda will become king right away. We saw that didn't happen. So we know that the Nevoah is true. We also interpret it as meaning that Yehuda will become king when there's a first a call, first a call for a king. We see that doesn't happen. The Navi appoints somebody from Shevet Binyamin. So if I'm the Ramban, I'm going to say, oh, so now I understand what it means is once that there is a king from Yehuda, it'll never leave him. Loya Sur Shevet Yehuda doesn't mean what I thought it meant, which is that Yehuda will always be the king. But once Yehuda is the king, it'll never leave him. In other words, I reinterpret the word of God based on how I see things play out, which is, by the way, what we do all the time. Right? We see we didn't understand it that way. It must be something different. Now let's roll back to Avram. When Avram hears as Chalagoy Gadol, how does he interpret that? I assume he interprets it. I'm gonna have a lot of kids. Problem is, I'm already 70 or 75, maybe, and I've been married to Sarai for we don't know how long, and she's barren. All right, but we'll go to Eretz Canaan and have kids. You come to Eretz Canaan and there they don't have kids. If you're Avram, how do you interpret those words? I'll tell you what I think. That Avram interprets those words as saying, maybe it means I'm going to be the inspirational leader of many people. In other words, maybe not genealogically a nation, but maybe congregationally a nation. Things like that have happened. What does Hashem then turn to him and say before No, the one that's going to come from you will inherit from you. Which means there are kids in there. Okay, very good. And that finally happens in Parakhet Zion when Sarai, and this is, by the way, an amazing statement about Avram. We've talked about it in the past. Sarai is the one who comes to Avram and Avram and says, you know what? God has kept me from having kids. Take Hagar and have kids with her. Avram does not even initiate a relationship with any other woman until his wife says, please do it. He does exactly what Sarah hopes, asks for. 
and he gets Hagar pregnant, and immediately Hagar behaves how she does. Sarai comes back angry, and Avram gives him back, gives her back. Avram is so devoted to the daughter, Sarai is crazy. It's it's impressive. It's beyond impressive. Crazy, I meant in the in the best way. And then Hagar Ishmael is born. And what happens after Ishmael is born? Then Hashem comes to Avram and says, 13 years later, I'm making a brief with you. I'm going to turn you into a Hav Hamon Goyim, which means you're going to have more than one kid. And then that other kid's going to be with Sarai. And then we have this whole interlude with um, Stone. First, the people, the two, the three guys come and tell Avram about the denunciation, why there's two of those interesting things, why I've master here twice is going to have a kid. And then there's the whole issue of Sodom, in which Avraham behaves like a leader, pleading on behalf of his people and watching from a distance as the town is destroyed, the area is destroyed. And Avraham's schut gets lot saved, there's a remnant. And by the way, we hear more about parents and children from the other perspective, which is Lot and his daughters. Right? And then um, we get to the story of Avimelech, all part of this thing. And what's the real cruncher of Avimelech? Because Avimelech took Sarai in, Sarai in, what happened? Everybody in his household stopped being able to reproduce. No more children. Avram intervenes and prays, and Hashem heals them. And from there we go to Hashem Pakarat Sarah and the story of children. So this middle narrative cycle is also about children. But it's about children in the broader sense. The first narrative cycle is about two kids, Ishmael and Yitzchak, and the role that they play in the future of Avraham's progeny. Here it's a much bigger circle. It's about a lot of children. It's about the potential for children who are not born children, but rather are followers. Beit Avraham, as, as it were. And it's the Yishmael and all of the possible things that could happen as a result of Yishmael. Because at this point, maybe Avram will have more kids with Hagar. We don't know. We don't know that that's been scotched yet. And then suddenly this new bit of information that Avram, you're going to have more kids and you're going to be the father of many nations. And that builds up and that takes us to, to the Akedah. Right? Now, I want to look at the, the largest cycle, which I think is, in a sense is the most interesting. And the Akedah plays into this. How does the Avram story start? It starts with How does the Akedah start? Look how these terms are, are paralleled. You're going to leave your land, your family, and your father's house. And now you're going to take your son, your only son, the one that you love. Three terms of endearment on each side. In each case, he's told lech lecha. And here it's lech lecha al ha'aretz asher areka, the land I will show you. And in a beautiful play on words, lech lecha al eretz ha'moriah, which alliteration-wise sounds like areka, the land that I will show you. Now, Avraham starts, his journey starts by being told lech lecha. What does lech lecha mean? What does lecha in lech lecha mean? So the simplest translation of lech lecha means you go, meaning you and only you. 
And it seems as if the original command was for Avram to leave everything and everybody behind and go on his own. Please take a look at Pasuk Dalit. Avram went just like Hashem told him. Who went along? He didn't take him. Who went along with him? Who hitched a ride? Lot. That's it. Avram goes and Lot, you know, drags along. Uh, uh, drags along. He's seventy-five. Now the next pasuk says, He takes everybody. He takes everything and all of the slaves, etc. It sounds like the first pasuk is describing what should have happened. Avram really is supposed to go on his own. Because Avram, every step of the way, becomes isolated from family. Now watch what happens, and I'll walk you through this. Avram gets to Canaan, and the first thing that happens, a famine, he goes to Mitzrayim. What happens in Mitzrayim? Sarah is taken away from him. Sarah is restored, but that's a traumatic event. They return to Eretz Canaan, and Lot is also rich. What happens there after Lot's rich? Lot's shepherds and Avram's shepherds start fighting over land or with territory, space, whatever. And what does Avram have to offer Lot to do? He pared na mi'alai. Let's separate. And Lot goes his own way, Avram goes his own way, and Avram never sees Lot again, even though he steps in to save him when Stom is uh, is ransacked, and he steps in to pray on behalf of Stom, but he never we never see him, them interact again. He separates from Lot. All right? What happens, um, and we have the famous war, and in the war, Avram is operating seemingly, although he's got allies and his own men, he's operating seemingly alone. His whole family is not with him. We then have Avram, um, and what is the promise of Brit ben promise of Brit ben is, your kids are going to be strangers in a foreign land. They're going to be oppressed and worked very hard. The famous, we're familiar with Brit ben but notice what's in, involved. Exile, isolation, distance, and only suffering through that will good things happen. It's very painful. Then what happens? Yishmael is born. Parenthetically, take a look at it. What's the promise of of Yazaracha, and who gives birth to Yishmael? Hagar. That's not by, by accident, right? And the same words is used of Avadum Otam and Sarai Vataneha Sarai. There's a lot of play between those two. And then. What does what happens? Hashem and and Hagar, by the way, what happens to her in the middle of her pregnancy? She runs away. Then Hashem comes to Avram and says, You're going to become a father of great nations, and Sarah is going to give birth. And what does Avram say? If only Ishmael would survive. And what does Hashem say? Don't worry, I'll take care of Ishmael. But by the way, I'm going to take care of Ishmael somewhere else. Right? And then we get to story of the destruction of stone. Again, Avraham feels a connection, a responsibility for the whole land, and then he's separated from this. And he has to watch from a distance and see the destruction there. He then comes to Gerar, and Sarah is taken away from him again. And then Yitzhak is born, and Yishmael is sent away. Avraham's entire story is Ish Ha'emunah Habodei, the lonely man of faith. Now, the focus in the Rav's famous book about the man of faith, the lone man of faith, is about faith. But in the Avram story, a major part of the emphasis is lonely. Avram is cons consistently, who was a paragon of virtue and as a leader, most maybe the most important human who ever lived. 
from the perspective of universally. Jewishly, it's Moshe. But universally, maybe Abraham. The Abrahamic religions, you know, or the whole Western world. But Abraham is always destined to be alone. He has to separate from Sarai twice. He has to separate from Lot forever. He has to separate from Ishmael forever. Separate from Hagar forever. Constantly. And then the epitome, the, the apex of this entire story is the Akedah. Because what happens at the end of the Akedah? Avram comes back, El Ne'arav, which most read as being the two guys, and they go back to Beersheba. Yitzchak is taken off the Mizbeach, and we never see Yitzchak and Avram in the same room again. Yitzchak doesn't appear here. Yitzchak doesn't appear in the story of the purchase of Machpelah. He doesn't appear in the morning for his mother. And the next time we see Yitzchak, he's near Beersheba, hanging out, and Rivka shows up on camelback, but Avram evidently sent his slave from Hebron. They're not even living in the same area. And we never see them together until Avram dies and Yitzhak and Ishmael bury him. So the broader narrative circle is the narrative circle of Avraham as the lonely man. And again, it starts with Leich Lecha and it ends with Leich Lecha. The Avram story begins with Leich Lecha and it ends with the Akedah. Afterwards, we have Machpelah and we have the, the arranging, arranging a wife for Yitzchak, and we have marrying Keturah, etc. But that's all postscript. The real story of Abraham concludes with the Akedah. The, 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 the crescendo of it is the Akedah, and it starts right where it ends, right where, the, where it began, with Leich Lecha, walking alone. And so the Akedah occupies a prominent place in the first part of Breshid and Avram's stories on three levels. It, op it, it occupies a, a, a critical spot within the story of Vashem Pakara and the Akedah as the story of Yitzchak and Ishmael. And Yitzchak and Ishmael is B'nai Avraham, how that, how that whole thing plays out. And the parallels between them. And the Brit with, Av with Avimelech. It also plays out in the larger narrative circle about Avraham's progeny. Who is that going to be? Is it going to be humans? Is it going to be, uh, meaning, is it going to be children who were born of it? Or is it going to be spiritual followers? And then there's the much larger picture, which is Avraham as the man of greatness who is destined to do it alone. And, by the way, whose, whose legacy to us is to never be alone. Counterintuitively, Avraham demonstrates what great things can happen on your own and bequeaths us a legacy of a community that's never alone. And you see that um, as an, a, a small example of that, kind of a mini picture of that, is what the Malach promises Hagar. What does he promise Hagar? He says, go back and be enslaved, and the, you will have a son who will never be enslaved. You suffer, and the result is your children won't. Avraham, you go through a life of solitude, they will only be realized in a positive way at your death when your two sons finally come together to bury you and you'll be buried next to Sarai. And so then that all comes together. And the result is you will be the father of a nation that will always be together and that will always take care of each other.